0: called Absolute Surrender. There are going to be about seven messages in this series, and they'll all tie together before long. We begin uh, by talking about uh, a man named Ahab. Ahab was a king uh, in the Old Testament uh, who found himself in quite a predicament. He was, his kingdom was besieged by a man named Ben-Hadad, another king, and 32 kings with him. So there were 33 kings, who came with overwhelming military force against Ahab and his kingdom. And in light of that, uh, in that position, uh, Ahab uh, didn't have a lot of choice. Uh, Ben-Hadad came to him and he said to him, Essentially, your silver and your gold are mine. Your wives and your children are mine. That's what Ben-Hadad said. He said, Everything you've got belongs to me now. You have no choice but to give it over to me. And looking at the situation, Ahab made a surrender in these words. He said, it is according to your word, my Lord, O king. I am yours and all that I have. Now, one of the things that we pointed out about Ahab was that his surrender was misplaced. He should not have given his surrender to anyone but God. We also looked at how you and I have often on more than one occasion given our surrender to someone or something other than God. We have given ourselves over to surrender uh, in surrender to some sinful habit, to some demonic influence, to something that we haven't been able to break away from. And we we have said to the devil himself or that thing, that influence, we have said... In the words of Ahab, essentially, by giving our surrender to it, it is according to your word, O Lord my King, I am yours and all that I have. We have yielded up to the devil or to sin a surrender that belongs only uh, to God. And so this morning, what I want to show you is I want to show you the same story in the New Testament, different names different kings, I want to show you a great king, uh, a mighty king, who sits on the throne of heaven, who confronts those who sit on the throne of their own hearts, and he says to them, your silver and your gold are mine, your wife, your life, and your children are mine, and we are to say to him, In the same words that Ahab used to give his surrender to a heathen king, we are to say it rightly to the right person. It is according to your word, O Lord, my king, I am yours and all that I have. Now you may not realize that you are in the position of that Old Testament king. You are in that position as you sit in this service this morning. And to show you where you are, and to show you how uncomfortable you are every time the Lord confronts you with His claims and His demands on your life, I ask you simply to turn to the story in the New Testament, Luke chapter 14. We're going to read verses 25 through 33. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. The king in question is the Lord Jesus Himself as He calls for commitment on the part of those who would be His disciples. And the title of my message today comes from one phrase out of this passage of Scripture. The title of my message is The Terms of Peace. The Terms of Peace. Now large crowds were going along with Him and He turned and said to them, If anyone comes to Me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he goes out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men, to encounter one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own Possessions. Those are quite uncomfortable verses. I would have to say that's probably not your favorite passage of Scripture. That's not a Bible promise that you sit down and you look at every day because those verses confront us with a call to discipleship. Now, what we're going to do today is simply see how what Jesus is asking for is the same thing that Benadad asked of Ahab. In the Old Testament, he asked for his absolute surrender. Becoming a Christian is confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but not only that he is Lord of the universe our Lord of the church, uh, but that our Lord of heaven, but that he is the sovereign Lord of your life. As such, he expects your surrender he deserves your surrender and he demands your surrender and your response to him in keeping with this passage of scripture that we read today should be should mirror Ahab's words to Binadad it is according to your word my lord o king i am yours and all that i have Now, I don't want you to assume that what Jesus said to them is is something that's not meant for you this morning. You should hear this as the Lord's Word to you. You should hear this as the Lord's Word to you if you have been a member of this church for 40 years, and you should hear this as the Lord's Word to you if for the first time you are considering becoming a follower of Christ. Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. So you see, they're not degrees of discipleship according to the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be a disciple and adhere to some of these conditions. You can't choose how you will respond or when you will follow. Jesus says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, the people who heard Jesus speak knew exactly what he was saying. They knew that the call to be a disciple was a call to an absolute surrender of all that you claimed as your own even your own life. People have grown, gone to great lengths to water down the word here, but there's no watering down the word. Look at what he says. Verse 28 through 32. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it began to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. The cost of discipleship is absolute surrender. Uh, But isn't it the case with some of you that like the man who began to build and was not able to finish, you started the journey somewhere along the way. Perhaps when you were eight years old or when you were a young person, you began the journey of becoming a disciple, of following Jesus. You went through some kind of confirmation. You were baptized thinking that was all that was required, just believe and be saved. No one explained to you the cost of commitment. And then sometime later, somewhere along the way, you understood it, but you could not pay the price of becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these years you've come to church and you claim some kind of kinship, some kind of affiliation with the church or with the Lord Jesus Christ, but without ever having paid the cost of absolute Surrender. Now, as Jesus speaks, he explains the cost of discipleship. As he walks through this passage of Scripture, as we walk through it, we see that he explains it with ever-increasing clarity. And he's going to speak now of a conflict between two kings, the greater and the lesser. I'm going to read those verses again. What king, uh, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider where he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. That is exactly where Ahab was as a king besieged by 33 other kings. He came to a decision to surrender and accept the terms of peace laid down By Benedad. What were those terms of peace? And what does God the greater require of me the lesser? God is the one who dictates the terms, and the terms of peace with God will require your absolute surrender. Now, let me tell you this expression, the terms of peace, appears only twice in the entire Bible. The first time is enough to illustrate what it means and what it requires. So we're going to look in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter twenty of the book of Deuteronomy, and we're got twenty-nine, and we're going to look at verses ten through twelve. And there, the Lord outlines his people how to require terms of peace or how to extend the terms of peace to a nation which they are. Headed their their, purpose is to conquer it. And so this is what he says. Deuteronomy 29, verse 10. When you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. Now, as we read this scripture, this is what I want you to understand. The Lord is the one who offers you terms of peace. He offers terms of peace to you. He is the greater. You are the lesser. And so... Offer it terms of peace. If it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall become your forced labor and shall serve you. It's absolute surrender. Terms of peace, absolute surrender. We're your servants. We have no choice. But to obey you, we have no choice but to serve you. We have no choice but to do your bidding. You are the greater, we are the lesser. This is one nation to another nation. One king who is not as great as another king saying to the greater king, give me the terms of peace, tell me what you want me to do. Because the other option is this. However, If it does not make peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. When the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall strike all the men in it with the edge of the sword. Now these verses only serve to illustrate the verses from Luke. The terms of peace are negotiated between a lesser party and a greater party. And your only hope in that case is absolute surrender of all that you are and have in the face of the awesome king of heaven and his honor, glory, and power. Your terms of peace with God require nothing less than absolute surrender. Now, what does that mean? That's where we're headed. It means that all that was yours is now God's. That's what that passage of scripture says. As much as you don't like to admit it, as much as you don't like to hear it, that is exactly what it says. All that was yours is now God's. You have realized that He has the power to demand it, that He expects to receive it, and that He deserves to receive it. And if you don't agree with that, you say, how can that be? Just look at the last verse of the passage we read, verse 33, Luke 14, verse 33. Jesus said, So then, none of you can be My disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Now, I'm not telling you that I'm completely comfortable with that either. But that's what the great king of heaven, who sits on the throne of heaven, says to me as I sit on the throne of my own heart, you have to give it all to me. Not part, but I want the whole. The whole of your heart and the whole of your life. In fact, Jesus' words sound very much like the words of Ben-Hadad to Ahab. Your silver and your gold are mine. Your wife and your children are mine. Your houses and your lands are mine. Your kingdom is mine because I expect to receive it. I have the power to demand it and I deserve it. And our only recourse is to say it is according to your word, O Lord, my king, I am yours in all that I have. Becoming a disciple of Christ means absolute surrender to the Lordship of Christ. It means He and His demands have first priority in your life. First before what? In Luke chapter 14, first before family. First before self. First before career. First before possessions. First before pleasure. First above all, because neither you nor yours belongs to you, but all belongs to Christ. Those are the terms of peace. Now, story. You like stories more than you like sermons, don't you? When Will Williman was dean of chapel at Duke University, he got a call from an irate father. The man was beside himself. He was beside himself. He was so angry. He said, I hold you personally responsible me, answered Willman. He said, yes, you. The father was irate because his graduate school-bound daughter had just informed him that she was going to give up that opportunity to go to graduate school to do missions work among the people of Haiti. Her father believed she was throwing away her future, and he blamed it on the influence of Willman there at Duke University who was minister there, dean of chapel, and her father was shouting, Isn't that absurd? Here she is. She has a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, and she's going to give it all up to go dig ditches in Haiti. Williman tried to calm the father down, but he was boiling mad, and the dad said, This is no laughing matter. You are completely irresponsible to to have encouraged her to do this, and I hold you personally responsible. And so as the conversation continued, Willeman pointed out, he said, Look, you and her mom were the ones who got this ball rolling. You were the ones who took her to church and Sunday school. You were the ones who encouraged her to be baptized. You were the ones who read Bible stories to her. You were the ones who let her go on the mission trip with the youth group You were the ones who introduced her to Jesus, not me. And the father said, but all we ever wanted her to be was a Presbyterian. But she had become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. She had complied with the terms of surrender. And for her, that meant Christ before self, Christ before career, Christ before other concerns, even the concerns of her parents. It meant absolute surrender. What about you? All you ever wanted to be when you joined the church was a Baptist, and that's all some of you will ever be. You'll be like the crowd who followed Jesus. When he spoke these words, you will be a polite observer, but you will never give your life up to them in absolute surrender. One more passage of Scripture Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. Luke 9, verse 23 through 24. Similar to the one in Luke chapter 14, Jesus was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. What does surrender look like? Well, surrender looks like losing your life. Losing your life is an expression of absolute surrender. It's waving the white flag. It's holding up your hands. Now, some of you are wrestling against God and His demands on your life. What can you gain by wrestling against God? Let me tell you about a wrestling match I was in. Uh, when I was in high school. One day the coach gathered the football team in the gym, I don't know why we were in the gym that day, but we were, around a little thin cotton mat. It was about that thick and it had buttons on it like an old mattress. Some of you who grew up back in the day like, like I did, you know what buttons on a mattress. It was an old thin cotton mat. And he put James Morris in the center of that mat. James was the biggest, meanest, strongest player On the football team. And the coach said, Now we're going to have a wrestling match, and one of you is going to wrestle James Morris. And it was quiet around that mat, nobody was going to wrestle James Morris. And as the quietness continued, I thought, it's a good opportunity to impress my coach with my courage. And so I hopped up on the mat. And I want to tell you, I was on top of James Morris instantly. Because he lifted me up over his head like a sack of potatoes and body slammed me to the floor. And it was so quick and so violent that the coach rolled up the mat and said, No more wrestling today. Look, if you can't wrestle James Morris, you can't wrestle against God. You've got to ask for terms of peace. You've got to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? Because with God, you see, it's either repent or perish. It's either surrender or perish. One more passage of Scripture. The Scripture is always good to look at. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, He looked at Jerusalem, and when He saw the city, He wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. The terms of peace with God, yes, requires me to give up everything. It requires me to make an absolute surrender to Him. But in so doing, I find that He doesn't take anything away. You know, Jesus said, if you give up houses, farms, brothers, sisters, lands, you'll receive many more in this life and in the life to come, life eternal. I watched a show this week, Undercover Boss. Some of you watched that show. And I thought so much at the end of Undercover Boss how the guy sees the needs of his employees and out of his own riches, the head of the company meets the needs of the employees who were so needy and probably hated the head of the company before that. But suddenly they realize this guy has a heart and he's helping me. He's doing something for me. And I think that's the way God is in grace and mercy If we give ourselves up to God, He will give us things. And I'm not talking about physical resources, money in your pocket, uh, houses and all that stuff. I'm talking about blessings that you would have never dreamed to receive if we just give ourselves up to Him. And so Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He said, if you had only known, if you had only known the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You didn't recognize the moment when the great King of Heaven stood before you and demanded your surrender and you sat on the throne of your own heart and you said... It's mine and you can't have it. And you didn't realize that he had the power to demand it. That he expected to receive it. And he deserves to receive it. And your only option, standing before God even today, is surrender or perish. But with that surrender comes the greatest blessings of life. Why do you wrestle against God? Why not say, I raise the white flag. I give up. I give my life to you because you've asked for it. And I trust you to bless me in ways that I could never dream. Let's pray. Now, Lord, these people have listened today and they've heard your word. And they see this picture of one king themselves sitting on the throne of their own life saying it's all mine and you can't have it and yet you sit on the throne of heaven and you demand that those who follow you surrender all that they have to your lordship lord i pray that you have stirred the heart of someone here today i pray especially for men men who need to be leaders, even myself. I pray, God, that we would yield up our lives to you willingly and unconditionally, that we would wave the white flag of surrender and say, it is according to your word, O Lord, my King, I am yours and all that I have. In Jesus' name, amen. We sing a hymn of invitation every Sunday. In the bulletin it says a time of response. It's not a time of response to the sermon. It's not a time of response to the speaker. It's a time of response to God. It's an opportunity to consider what God demands of you and whether or not you will give it. And it might be at the, at the end of this service today, you simply need to come, make these steps an altar, and say, Lord, I wish to give my life to you, or at least begin the process, because it's a journey of relinquishment. Oh, thank you.